0: We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, he
1: is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God.
2: Good morning and welcome to Real Presence Live. Uh, This is your host this morning, Father Jason Leffer. Let us begin by invoking the Holy Spirit to come down upon us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, we adore you, we glorify you. May we be your great glory. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit down upon all who are listening right now. Bring forth a wealth of inspiration, bubbling up from within our souls, our minds, our hearts, our imaginations. A tap into all of our spiritual faculties. Make us fully alive with the Word of God, Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for these forty days with the glorified Christ, as He teaches us all things and prepares us for His ascension to your right hand and the coming of the great paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who will remind us of all things and teach us all things. Heavenly Father, you are truly the awesome God. We are so privileged to be your beloved children. May your word go forth and have its way with us this day. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all of you wonderful listeners out there this morning, I'm a little sad. I'm going to limp along here today. The, the, uh, my counterpart, Father uh, James Gross, is not with us today. He is enjoying a well-deserved uh, spiritual retreat this week, so he is, he is absent. But in his presence, I have brought into the studio... The wonderful, the inspiring Janelle Shanilak. Good morning, Janelle.
0: Good morning, Father <laughs> Leffer. Welcome
2: aboard. Boy, any time that I can spend time with you, it is just an absolute gift. And now, we, uh, all of our potential 2.5 million listeners of Real Presence Radio will have the benefit of hearing uh, the Holy Spirit work through you this morning on air.
0: Well, it's nice to be here, Father, especially with you. I've had the great joy of uh, attending more of your Masses recently. And I have to tell you, Father, I love attending your Masses. I love participating in your Holy Mass. I'm learning so much from you through through the homilies you give. So thank you for being so open to the Holy Spirit. And thank you for your great gift of teaching. Well, I wish you would do more of it. I really do.
2: Well, thank you, Janelle. It's very kind of you. Say you should really pray for me because the the constant complaint is that I talk too much, I speak too long, and I teach too much. So, <laughs> and I, you know, and the harder I try to not, the harder I try to be shorter and very <laughs> concise and very to the point, the longer it gets. So, the, anyway, you say a prayer for me so that I'm not such a burden to my my poor prisoners out there. So, boy, but we have we have an absolute wonderful lineup this morning. I am a bit sad that we do not have a uh, call-in segment because I think that would have been just a blast this morning uh, to work through uh, people's questions and comments. But in place of a call-in segment, we have just four absolute wonderful guests, even two in-studio guests this morning. So thoroughly excited about that. Now, uh, to begin with, our, our once a month, our, uh, how does Father Gross say L- waltzing down literally, like, I can't, leaping down yes. literally like something. But anyway, we have Nancy Gord with us on the, on the phone this morning. Good morning, Nancy.
1: Well, good morning.
2: Do you have some good alliteration for us to get us started for our literary review?
1: <laughs> well, our author today, Dorothy Day, is alliterative, so we can start with that. And the title of the book is The Long Loneliness. So we now, have
2: more of those out. So I, I want to say, Nancy, you're you're such a gift and so incredible. And you know, I I am always amazed at how you challenge me and all of our listeners with the the titles that you and Father Slattery bring forth. And again, uh, we should acknowledge that Father Slattery is not with us uh, today either. So we're we're, we're truly flying with uh, two engines instead of four this morning. So, but um, the. Boy, you have presented here uh, with Dorothy Day. First of all, she's a servant of God, um, on hopefully on the way to being canonized. But the ever controversial and uh, uh, I could almost say polarizing figure of uh, Dorothy Day. Could you could you introduce our listeners a little bit to Dorothy Day's background and uh, introduce us to uh, kind of her her really fantastic uh, life that she lived.
1: Certainly. Now, this particular book, which is an autobiography, and actually more of a memoir, goes through her life. I think the copyright date was 1952, and she lived several more years. But really what it talks about, it addresses her lifelong relationship with Christianity, her conversion to Catholicism, and personal conversion stories are so varied and inspirational, and each one in its own way, but Dorothy's conversion pulled her toward a movement that combined political theory with Christian love and community. Now, hers was a powerful message, and it's sometimes questioned and frequently misunderstood. But what is so great about Dorothy is that she not only talks the talk, she walks the walk, as they say, for she was a woman of action, not only words.
2: You know, and, and uh, so to help our listeners understand, there, there's actually, Dorothy Day actually wrote four autobiographies, and each of the four kind of cover a, a section of her life. Right. And, and so this one, um, this one is just, just like you said, Nancy. And, you know, let's, um, can we go into a little background about her? Because, um, it, it, again, she she tends to be so controversial. So I think it's important for our listeners to really understand what she came out of and kind of her personal history. uh, So then some of the things that she presents, we can, we have a good, good way to deal with that.
1: Right now in this book, the long loneliness, she reveals the journey she took as a young woman and she lived what many people term a bohemian lifestyle. And she worked as a journalist, she covered a great many volatile events leading up to World War One, and especially things like women's suffrage and labor strikes. And she became, like so many journalists, kind of interested or curious in these movements. And so even though, she says in her book, she was never registered socialist, I do think that a lot of people take issues sometimes with her ideas, especially if they're not clearly expressed. And she did have relationships with men. She had what would be termed a common law marriage, even though her partner never really wanted marriage. It is not addressed in this book. But I think it's commonly or well known among people who know of her life she had an abortion and was very concerned that she'd ever be able to get pregnant again. And it was her daughter, this intense love and concern for her daughter, that led her even more to the Catholic Church. She was very concerned about having her daughter baptized, and then she subsequently was baptized. So through her conversion, she said, she kind of shed these patterns of behavior and became very, very active and helped found the Catholic worker movement. And she worked on the publication, The Catholic Worker. But, I mean, we know her the best because of those autonomous houses of hospitality across the country named for her. But she did have a very interesting, complex life that led up to her conversion. And then her partnership with Peter Morin, who is a very important part of this book, and his passion about the cause for the worker, and he was far more agrarian in nature. Uh, it really led to her lifetime of service to the poor through corporal and spiritual acts of mercy. Both,
2: you know, one uh, a person that she reminds me of very much is Pope Francis. And what mm. I mean by that is he um, yes. he tends to be a, a polarizing type person where, you know, people of a conservative bent are are offended by him, but people with a liberal bent are equally offended by him. And yet then he at different times will comfort those with a conservative bent and he will comfort those with a liberal bent. It, it's like both, I'd say, Pope Francis and Dorothy Day They're they're not really concerned about what others think of them. Not really. I mean, they have a, they have this kind of bead on 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 their relationship with God and how they're they're working it out. Um, you know, as I poked around into her life to really get to know her, her more here, it, it, it's fascinating to to see her her the connection with her her childhood. Uh, her experience with God as a child, her kind of loss of faith, you'd say, going through teenage, high school, college years, and the rediscovery. When, when she was, her, her parents, I think, were Anglican, and uh, the, she, she was conditionally rebaptized again later in life, but mm-hmm. the idea is that she probably was baptized as, as a child, and they didn't practice much, but w- the one thing that appealed to her as a child, which she never lost, was her appreciation for the liturgy. And the structure and the form of the liturgy and the beauty of the liturgy,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which was interesting because she, she brought that forward all the way then in, into her active life as she was uh, very concerned about social justice and the movements of social justice, but in there, she never lost the concept of, of beauty and the importance of worship of God, even though she was struggling maybe in her moral life or different areas as as she went. The, the other thing that I found fascinating about her is her relationship to authority. So, uh. on the one hand, she she has this really strong sense of authority, that, that God has authority, that this you should always be under authority, that this is very important, and it comes out in different points in her life. But on the other hand, she has this just constantly questioning authority challenging authority um kind of disappointed with the authorities that are over her that they are not meeting the needs of the people um always willing to use her her platform to challenge those who are in authority and she has these interesting encounters across her life with say like even like the cardinal uh, of archbishop of new york who she she calls him out but and and she's disappointed with him but on the other hand she won't let anybody else disrespect him or mm-hmm. say bad things and in the end it's interesting because it is the cardinal archbishop of new york that has opened the cause of canonization for her you know mm-hmm. she she she's the first one to question those who are holding the office of authority but she's the first one to say now you you need to you need to respect this. Uh, and another thing along that line was so she she was considered an anarchist, which was a it's a political mm-hmm. movement. The anarchist, which is to do right, you, you come in and you destroy kind of all the, the the established authority figures and institutions and so forth. But what's so interesting about her? She, if there's such a thing as a Christian anarchist, she was. She, um, she disagreed with any form of violence. She disagreed with any form of destruction and all this kind of thing. But she really believed that there had to be a reinvention of the, the world order to help the poor and the downtrodden. What, um, what did you experience, as your, from your perspective, Nancy, just in, like her relationship with authority there and this whole kind of struggle that she, she expressed
1: and she had to be very, very careful because these are loaded words, words like anarchy and distributism and even pacifism in a way, because she, this book covers like two world wars, yes. World War I and World War Two. And so she, it, I just found at points in this book that there must have been so many times she had to explain and re-explain what she meant by these terms. When she addressed pacifism, of course, this would have been before the prominence of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but she referenced Gandhi when she talked about uh, pacifism. When she talked about anarchy, she had a a definition of it in the terms that a society, a group, should be able to generate its own rules and regulations as are needed by the group rather than a central authority. But she was constantly re-explaining this because you hear anarchy and you think of just law and disorder and recklessness and and destruction.
2: I, I, think, and her, um, her, I think her saving grace was, in all that, she wasn't an ideologue. Like, she didn't sacrifice herself for an idea or a principle. Or She knew the person, the person of God, the divine person. She knew the person of Christ. And she valued the person in every person she encountered, no matter what their philosophy or theology was. And she always saw good in the person. She identified with the good of the person. This is Real Presence Radio. We have the wonderful Nancy Gord on, on air with us this morning. We are discussing um, this very stimulating work, uh, Autobiography by Dorothy Day, The Long Loneliness. Uh, please stay tuned with us as we continue this discussion on the other side of our break.
0: Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Have interruptions impacted your charitable giving? If you feel like you have less to give this year or are waiting until you get through these recent challenges, we want to let you know about some creative gift options that won't cost you a dime this year. For example, you could designate Real Presence Radio as the beneficiary of all or percentage of your IRA or make RPR beneficiary of a percentage of your estate or specific asset. Make a bequest commitment gift this year without impacting your savings or investments. To learn more about the benefits of making a charitable bequest, please visit our plan-giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701 701- Two nine zero four five zero three. Let's get started. I'm Carrie
1: Dew, Executive Director of Riverview Place.
0: Welcome back to Real Presence Live. This is your
2: host, Father Jason Leffer, and riding shotgun with me today is... Janelle Shanlock. And Janelle, it is so wonderful to have you. you just, when I think of uh, Catholic Radio Real Presence, I think of Janelle Shanlock. So it is such a treat to have you here in the booth this morning. It's just an absolute gift. Now, just, are, are you a literary buff? Do you like to read? Is that something in your life that you...
0: Sometimes, depending on the subject matter.
2: Yeah? What, what are What are some of your favorite kind of literary things, expressions that you like? Wow.
0: Well, I, 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 right off the top of my head, let me think. The last time I read a book, it's it's been a little while. I sometimes will read excerpts. You know, yep. I like a skimmer. There we I'll go. I'll have several books. Right. And, and and I'll skim them here and skim them there because I, I used to work at Holy Family Bookstore and I'd have to skim the books you know
2: the reason I'm, I'm asking because every time I encounter you you're always giving me hey father you need to read this you need to read this <laughs> you know, so that but we've got uh, Nancy Gord with us and we're, we're deep in a discussion here about the life of uh, Dorothy Day and one of her four autobiographical works which is called The Long Loneliness Nancy please can you take us into the title give us wh- what is this title The Long Loneliness about and where does it come from
1: well, it actually comes from Eugene O'Neill's work, and I think we mentioned, or I may have uh, mentioned earlier about her bohemian lifestyle. She knew as a young woman a great many interesting political and artistic people, and Eugene O'Neill was one, who um, wrote such, you know, things that, that talked about the long journey, and, and uh, he was constantly on a search for meaning as well. But uh, when she addresses this long loneliness, it reminded me so much of Victor Frankel's book, *Man's Search for Meaning*. Is that without that fulfilling meaning to one's life, how empty you are. And she will periodically address this—the long loneliness one feels at different times in their life—and this. She filled hers with service, love of God, a dedication to to Christ-like ways of being with the poor because like christ she walked among them i mean she lived in these ramshackle homes that were either donated or given to them or recovered by them and uh it very few times in this book does she talk about really having uh like a a fancy hotel room i mean that's that's not the way she worked
2: well, she literally. There are different periods. She went out where she went without food for days. She went without shelter for days. She went just, just not not because she didn't have any, didn't have access to it, but so she could identify with the people that she was serving. This is how she jumped in with with uh, both feet to experience uh, what what the people were going through that that she was serving. The um, uh, the you know, hey, go ahead, Nance.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, and they embrace work as a very positive. It's a slightly different attitude toward work, I believe, than maybe Victor Frankl had, uh, because they even talk about the assembly line workers. It's maybe some of his humanity in the long loneliness. It's mentioned maybe taken from him because he's only part of the product and doesn't produce the entire item. But I, no. I think that... that you know, the importance of fair wages, good living conditions, safe working conditions, the ability to provide and to thrive in one's work. And, and they had farms. You know, I, I, if you have come from a farming background, I oftentimes wonder, like, they go, oh, all these sailors who no longer have work, uh, they want to be farmers. I'm like, well, I hope there's somebody there who knows what... <laughs> you know, what's going on here, because you just don't plant a seed and sit back, you know. So uh, they they also did, because Peter, her cohort in so much of the movement, uh, was really a person who wanted to get back to the land.
2: So to tie some of these things together, because you threw out a, a bunch of stuff there, one, I'd say the word that comes to me that describes her life is haunting. And that, okay, that, yes. that ties in with the, her search for meaning, like with Viktor Frankl, her whole life was a search for meaning. And and she, she knew the person, she had a very personal relationship with God, and I think that was her anchor, her salvation, but she was always caught. She was caught, it seems like she always had this struggle between the spiritual world and the physical world, where the very physical needs of the people she's serving, and yet she knew the need for the spirit. And there was almost like at times there's this bifurcation in her where she would overemphasize one or the other. And she's always struggling to have this balance, you know, that that would come in. Okay. So then it's important. You mentioned before the break, a word that is associated with her, which is redistributism. Okay. And and so we need to talk about this for a minute because oftentimes any, a lot of people have a strong reaction to her because let's say like, Oh, she's just a socialist or communist. Right. And so we, First, of all, I'd like to clarify she herself never claimed to be a socialist or communist. And, and the, the thing that, that separated her under so, official socialism and communism, they're going to reject God, they're going to be atheistic. Mm-hmm. One, the, the very first article she ever wrote for uh, her, her uh, newspaper magazine was um, c- Can you be a socialist and believe in God? right so she so her 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 separation there was that she she was a believer in god not just god but uh roman catholic god okay and, and and she constantly would profess over and over to people i i believe in professing and adhere to all the teachings of the catholic church because people would question her they would they would say well you don't or you're 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 not and and she would want to bring this into a very practical expression in in people's lives so Then, then the other part of it. So, this whole concept of redistributism. What her idea? She borrowed a lot from like Chesterton and these different. Mm -hmm. But her her version of it was a little different. She, but you know, Chesterton had the famous saying. He said, "Distributism is the every person should have a cow and three acres." Okay, that was his, and his idea was the smallest unit of meaning should be the family. a Uh a father, a mother and and the child. And every family should have a cow and three acres, meaning everybody should have a personal ownership. So here's where, what separated uh, Dorothy day from, from everyone else was, she was adamant about um, that. Everybody is, is entitled to be an owner, to have, have possession of either, either land or property, especially the tools or what's necessary to work. And so, she tended towards wanting like small, like small is better. Like instead of having a large corporation, multiple little tiny family shops, family farms, family ownership. This is the pri- So private ownership was just at, this is the one thing that she never, she would never change on across her whole life to the day she died. It was like somehow a person's dignity is connected with, Ownership that you you have buy in that you that you you know again using Chesterton saying there you have a cow and three acres like everybody should have um, an experience of growing something raising something cooking something making something uh, doing it together you know kind of a thing
1: right and in a very cooperative community spirit of sharing too I think that uh, one thing that is mentioned in the book is that. In terms of the redistribution of, of items or opportunity uh, of property, it really it was almost like a cooperative situation where you think of people uh, working together, sharing together. And I think community is really what filled that long loneliness in much of her life.
2: She, she was adamant that you are not to live in isolation that that you, you the the gospel's meant to be lived in community she she was huge on that and i think maybe to help our listeners understand like kind of why the stress or the tension she caused so like like for example um you know so on People on the right, they're going to accuse her of being a socialist or a communist. The people on the left, they're going, to, they're going to accuse her of not adhering to the tenets of, you know, um, going against authority and, and being your own person, your own individual and casting off the, the hierarchical structure of the church, for example, to be truly free kind of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. So she comes into that middle where it, she says, no, the, we really need ownership and um, but yet there, it, it needs to be on the small level where everybody has ownership. They're all all together in it, and and I, and I think this is why. Like for example, I'll say she had a huge effect on like, the Catholics in America. So for example, I grew up small farm. All small farmers, small business owners tended to be Democrat. They tend to be Democrats. Mm-hmm. They were, they were, they were adamant about it because the Democratic Party had this idea of small owner, small, small business, small. You know, all the the little guy. Okay. Right. But what's so crazy now nowadays? It's like Democrats don't really represent that anymore, and I mean, the Republicans were so she she like she kind of becomes like the Catholic voice that's in the middle. You're like a, a true Catholic is you're you're always kind of caught in the middle between the different political parties because they don't. <laughs> They don't really represent and, the and gospel. also
1: Right, and you also have to explain yourself so much. It, you know, what is it actually that you believe? Because it sounds like you believe this. And I think that Dorothy Day had to do that a great... And when she wasn't just out there working. I think what speaks most for her is the work that she did and the service that she gave to the people most in need. And I think that speaks so loudly... Of her beliefs, and and also when we kind of talk about uh, you know these terms like anarchy or distributism, uh, she let her houses be autonomous, so they kind of met the needs of the people of the community and chose certain ways to serve them. And I know, like in Moorhead, the Dorothy Day House, affiliated with Churches United. And then the Dorothy J. Pantry serves a certain purpose and welcomes people in their way.
2: Now, Nancy, our time has just flown. It's over. It's gone. We, I have so many more things I wanted to talk about with, with this. But what do you know next month what's on the agenda? What would, yes. what would the work would yes. like to do? And, please, I, and I know you're going to challenge us, whatever it is. Here we go.
1: Okay. Death Comes for the Archbishop by oh, Willa Cather. Awesome.
2: Oh, beautiful, beautiful! Oh, yes, it's one—it's very stimulating work. It's going to be great. Can't yeah. wait. Okay, so uh, death comes to the Archbishop by William, Willa Willa Cather—is her name? Right, and mm-hmm. that's going to be a fantastic discussion. Okay, Nancy. Thank you. I, you know, you and I—we just limped along without our cohorts of uh, oh, you know, Father it? Slattery and Father Gross. Which so they'll be back in full force next uh, next month when we're, we're back on. Again, thank you for your brilliance and challenging us and all the listeners here and, and really good Catholic literature. And on the other side of the break, um, we are going to be discussing Confirmation, all things Holy Spirit, and what's something called the restored order of the sacraments.
0: Please stay tuned. Live, engaging.